So there's a there's some news on the Internet of Things front, um, which is that the IoT. Yeah, <laughs> we're definitely gonna have to get a jingle for that. There's there's no escaping it. We're not getting away from that. <laughs> um, so Hertz, the rental car company, is planning to put cameras. Actually, they are putting cameras in their rental cars. I heard about that. Because <laughs> it was in our Google Doc. <laughs> well, didn't I read that they were going to put them in, but just not use them or something like that? that well, they're they, installing them, but they haven't really started enabling them. Yeah. Yet. So they're saying, okay, for now, they are inactive. We quote, we do not have adequate bandwidth capabilities to the car to support streaming video at this time. So what, happened, what about when they do have available bandwidth, right? I mean, that can't right. be that far off. It's we already have, you can already get 30, me- 30 megabit per second transfer rate, you know, on mobile. So, um, well, not only that, I mean, who's going to monitor it? Who's going to sit there and watch the feed? It, it's, it's almost better to treat them like a black box and record it and review if, if there's an issue versus actively streaming it and watching it. Or, or it could be, it could be one of those things that they, they keep, you know, like maybe, Oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, a hundred gig of data just buffered in the car. Right. So that if some, some event happens or there's an accident or, or someone suspected of a crime, that's, this is where it gets really tricky from a freedom standpoint, that they could go and pull the video from the car. I mean, yeah. you, you can get a thing the size of a, you know, basically a thumb drive that holds 100 gig, right? right. So that's very feasible. So I'm assuming that, the, that there's some kind of controversy over it. Just the, just the sheer fact that they're going to have cameras in there, but do you see an issue with it? I mean, it's 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 a car, it's it's a rental car, it's it's almost public transportation, isn't it? Is it public? It's not public transportation because you are entering into a private, you know, rental agreement using someone else's car. I mean, if you're using someone else's car and you had cameras in it, I mean, it's not your car. Um. No, it's not right. But you're renting as a private, you know, you're entering into a private agreement to to rent that. So, but yeah. So anyway, it says uh, the device is often included as a free perk for Hertz's Gold members. It's a perk, huh? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> remind me not to sign up for Hertz Gold status. <laughs> but I mean, it's a rental car, really. I mean, ninety percent of the people out there are just business travelers, and they're they're you know going from point A from the hotel to their to wherever their office is or client is. I mean, what do you think they're really going to see? It, that's, I mean, I don't know. You don't know. The, but the point is, is you're being, you potentially are being watched, you know? And I, I guess the question is, is it without your knowledge? I mean, there's clearly a lens looking thing facing right at you. Right. So. Well, it might know. make you a little more careful. It might, might reduce the, the odds of someone using a rental car for, for criminal purposes. Well, and it could also just, I mean, it, the, the problem is, is it kind of creeps people out. I mean. It does, but this one doesn't really give me the creeps like some surveillance techniques do. I mean, this is, this is a car that you're renting. Someone else owns it. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see that being an issue. But they're going to be able to see what you're doing in that car. So here, okay, so here's what one rental customer said. The system can't be turned off from what I could tell. Further investigation revealed that the camera can see the entire inside of the car. I know rental car companies have been tracking the speed and movements of their vehicles for years, but putting a camera inside the cabin of vehicles taking their need for information a little too far. I find this to be completely unacceptable. In fact, if I get another car from Hertz with a camera in it, I will move our business from Hertz completely. I mean, it's like, is it okay if there's a 
ca- cameras in your hotel room, even if it's just for just for security purposes? That's different. I change and get naked in the hotel room. Yeah, I mean, it's I don't know. It's just a private space that you've rented temporarily. Yeah, that's a private space, but a vehicle is not. I don't see a vehicle being as that kind of private. No, place. but it's, it's just still it's still just the idea that uh, you know that, that people can be watching you. I mean, people do things in cars that maybe you don't do. Yeah, and I'd like to rent a car <laughs> that I know someone did not do that stuff in. Well. <laughs> You shouldn't rent cars then. <laughs> yeah, if, <laughs> Just, some, if someone's driving around naked and their butt cheeks on the car seat, I don't, I'd like to know that and not rent that car. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, when asked whether customers were informed there would be a camera in the car or told under what circumstance it would be activated, uh, they said again, they again emphasized, this is Hertz, that the cameras had never been used. So they're saying they've never used them, even though they're there. Because the bandwidth's too expensive. <laughs> But as soon as bandwidth's cheap enough, you're going to be getting spied on. Internet of Things, baby, it's coming. Now, if they're publicly publishing that, and everyone, everyone, like they have a website, and you can just randomly see who's who's driving what car and what they're doing, that would be kind of creepy. And as and as we've said, John, we're all would, heading to creepy. We all know that, right? I mean, that, this is this is t- just another link in the chain. But I, I don't know. I don't think it's. I don't think they're going to go out there and publish a website with all everyone all the video feeds. That's not their intent, is it? Oh no! It's just you no. know, if they haven't, if there's an accident or something occurs and some some trigger mechanism happens, they can turn it on and someone can see what's going sure, on. Sure, that's what they say. Maybe that's what they maybe actually, you step maybe that's on the brake really and, hard and it triggers triggers right. something. Or or what they say is, and this sounds useful. It's kind of like useful. It's kind of like OnStar. You know, if you get an, if you get in an accident or something, did you hear that? No, yeah. that's weird. Um, if you get in an accident, um. You can you can get help from OnStar, and it might help if they can actually see you. Like if they, you know, if you're have some laceration on your face, or or if you're unconscious, and they could just look to see, hey, what's wrong with this person? I mean, that's yeah. that's somewhat useful. But it's it's not even that the company has any bad intentions. But what if you know what if they got a rogue employee that's just surfing through video, or steals some video and puts it up online somewhere? Yeah. Maybe there's some woman ch- has to, who has to change in her car on the way to a business meeting. You know, she's changing her sh- shirt or something. I'm totally going in and out. Is that just my headphones? So do we want to talk about watch stuff? Do you have any watch things on your agenda? That's got to be old news. Everyone's probably tired about hearing about the watch. Let's just do this. Are you, are you planning on getting one? Or is there one that you would like to have? I'll probably get the sport just because I, I want to get one. And I'm not a watch person, so I don't really want a nice watch. I don't care about that. Now, um, here's, the, here's a really, really um, important question. Are you going to use Salesforce on your watch? Well, of course, because isn't that what we all need? Just another inbox to check, another thing dinging us constantly, taking out of us, taking us out of the moment. I don't know. I'm not a salesman and I'm not a field rep. So that type of connectivity to my CRM is probably nothing I will ever do. Yeah, but you could run your business from your watch, John. Yeah, I can get a nice little circle graph and That's everything right. that says, you know, hey, I'm not I'm not up to par here. Can you create lightning components through your watch yes. app? Yes. Okay. You can just, you dictate yeah. the code. It'll just like flash, like it'll a lightning flash yeah. and it'll, it'll just alert you. No, I'm saying you can write, can you create apps through your watch? Can, uh, I think they have a, a kit coming out and I need to look at that because I think there is a kit coming out for. How do you do? Just dictate the code to it? Well, it would be no difference than the Salesforce one. You have the actual app, yeah. the Salesforce app, and then through that you can, you can have, configure it to do mm-hmm. things, but. 
I don't see that being too far off. I wouldn't mind an addition. An addition watch. Yeah. Well, that's going to get confusing. We have the sport watch, the watch, and then the addition. The addition. Yeah, it's it's Apple Watch, which is the stainless steel middle of the road one. Yeah, just, it's and just you're Apple Watch mid range, about six hundred bucks. Yeah, just Apple Watch. Yeah, well, and a Sport is mid range about four hundred. Yes, and then we got the edition, right? Which is high end. I saw was around seventeen thousand. Can you believe that? Hmm. Uh, anyways, yeah. So I pulled. I mean, there's a bunch of. Just again, crappy coverage of Salesforce's foray into into uh, wearables. But um, so this one says, ne- "Never wanted to miss out on a bandwagon." Salesforce is trying to point out that the Apple Watch is not just a fanboy fashion accessory, but it's also a cloud-powered analytics and deal-closing wrist putter for the modern entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do think. I mean, there are op- some fairly obvious, like I think good use cases for Salesforce on the Apple watch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, notifications just of meetings that are about to happen, that kind of standard stuff. But you know, it gets to all these approvals and all kinds of stuff. Do you really want that stuff? Does that really need to be on your watch? Is that even helpful? I think so. If if you're kind of on the go or you're just running around in meetings and you need to get things approved and you're the bottleneck. But I would think you would, you're going to have to pull your phone out to, in order to approve something. You don't want to just approve it based on two lines of text. Like you need to look That's at true. that. That's true. And I was, I was going to mention that, that, you know, it, it's great to be able to, you know, instantly approve something from your phone and do all that kind of stuff. But the whole point of the approval process is, hey, someone's doing something that we need that is either expensive or, or requires making a very specific human decision about what's going on. And can you do that with a few lines of text on your phone or on your watch? Sorry. That's what I'm, I'm thinking that a lot of these use cases, you're really just going to have to pull. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, you because can. Because if someone's just able to look at their watch and go click, accept, click, accept, click, decline, what's the purpose of having the approval process? Yeah. Can't we just train a monkey to randomly click things? Yeah. Because that's about as effective as that person's decision making analysis is if they're just using their watch. Right. But I mean, I guess, I guess one thing's nice is you can look at the fact that you do have a pending approval request mm-hmm. and you could, on you, your phone you could or, potentially see whether you have something you need to handle now or not. If, right. if you can just look at your wrist and say, Oh, okay, I, I don't need to prove that deal. Now I can wait. And, and if it, you do need to prove it, you've got your watch, you've got your phone right there. So you could pull out your phone. Yeah. And that's probably a good distinction to make is that the watch isn't really going to replace your phone or anything. It does. You're still going to need it. It really just kind of gives you a, a quick way of glancing at some information so that you don't have to have your phone in your hand all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think overall, not just Salesforce, but just the Apple Watch in general, I'm kind of dubious on how valuable it is. You know what I think the biggest use case will be for me is, so like when, I'm, when I go running or I'm doing something really active, mm-hmm. um, I usually carry, I mean, I'll go run three miles and I'll ca- be carry, I have an iPhone 6. I'll just carry it in my hand the whole time. Yeah. Because I'm usually like either listening to music or podcasts or, or streaming something. The good day, sir, podcast, I hope. Uh, I don't listen to our podcast. I mean, I have to <laughs> just in the, in the production process, I get to hear it enough. <laughs> um, but no, so I'll, um, I'll want to like, uh, fast forward or skip a, skip a track or skip to the next podcast or, or you know, something like that. All right. And 
like I have this little, I think that's called a spy belt. Runners use these things, and they're it's a it's a it's almost like it's like a modern day fanny pack. It's but it's really small, but it's super stretchy, so you can jam an iPhone six, and then it, hold, it holds it really snug and like snug to your waist, and it doesn't bounce. That's what's actually critical. So yeah. it's really great for that. Except once you get your phone locked up in there, you better have a damn good playlist and not want to fast forward past anything because it's it's stuck inside a pouch, right? And it's not exactly easy to get it in and out. But I've been I've heard that. With a with a watch, you'll be able to to do that, like the skipping and fast forwarding and stuff from the watch. Right. That would be really nice. Yeah, and I kind of have something similar with my headphones. It has the ability to play, stop, and adjust the volume. But if I want to switch apps, or you know, maybe my podcast is over that I was listening to, and I want to go to the next one. You know, I don't have a way to cue that up without getting into my phone. So there are some modern conveniences in there. Yeah, but really quick, I did find, and I, I remember seeing this. So Salesforce does have a Wear developer pack for the Apple Watch. Is that um, right? So the Wear, the Wear SDK, or whatever that is, that's they've had that for a while, but I guess they've just recently added the Apple Watch part of you know pl- con- connector or whatever it is to it. I'd assume so. Now, have you um, have you do you have your uh, what's it called uh, Xcode updated in uh, the the framework and everything? It's no. been out for a while for the for the watch. Now, the most I've done is I've updated my iOS. And so I got the new Apple pairing app. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't updated my Xcode or anything. So if you were to, I mean, what, what would be an interesting little, you know, I don't even know what you call these things, applet or that's actually, it's an overloaded term, you know, little watch, watch app. app. Yeah. For Salesforce, what would be, that's, that's not going to come out of the box. That's a good one. Maybe like a timer, your work timer. Like I'm uh, if you track your time. Yeah. If you work by the hour. It's not a bad one. I mean, you've got, I'm sure it's going to come with some kind of analytics. And so you'll be able to see some charts and data of opportunities and what's won and what's closed. Um, it, it, it may. So you're saying the, the watch will run d3.js? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> hey, there's plenty, there's plenty of, of um, health apps out there that have plenty of little charts and little, little circle donut charts that have little numbers in the between that says, hey, you're at you know, 50% or whatever. Yeah. So I'm sure those are kind of built in. You'll be able to get quick access to those, but uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe some kind of proximity alert, you know, you're at a client and it, you walk out the door and there's a little proximity that says, you know, a log an event, right? You just, you just, yeah. Cause yeah. it's going to be, your phone's going to be aware of it. And maybe your phone could do this already, but you know how, how some apps, like there's some task apps that do that where it watches where you're at. And like, when you walk into a store, it said, you've programmed it and said, Hey, when I go to target today, remind me that I've got, that I need to get X, Y, Z. And when you walk into the store, because it's got that proximity, it's tracking your location. It can automatically notify you. Hey, I see you're at target. Don't forget to get this, this, and this. Yeah. They already, I mean, so your phone can already do that, right? Yeah. But then it, it would be on your watch. Yeah. I mean, that's something else that could be on your watch. You don't have to pull your phone out. So every, every time we talk about these use cases for the phone, or, yeah, for the watch. I feel like we're always stretching. Like, okay, that's a kind of a good idea. The phone already does that. Would this be really any better? I mean, I guess, well, oh, I don't know, I, maybe. I think, I think the thing that the watch will do, and, you know, the watch isn't going to be as prevalent as the phone, mainly because there's that threshold of the cost of it. With phones, you have the subsidy from your, you know, ISP providers and things. Otherwise, right. your phone is going to cost you five or $600. Right. With these watches, they're going to cost you five or six hundred dollars, and there's no potential for subsidies. Right. So it's it is going to be what it is. But here's here's what I think it does that your phone doesn't do, and that's you get quick glances of tiny bits of information. Um, 
But anyway, so, so the point I'm trying to make is that I think in a social setting, especially when you're walking into some place or you're talking to someone, people are used to, and they're not, it's not as rude as picking up your phone and start flipping through everything. You know, you've got to, you got to put like in your it's coat. Not, not, it's not rude to look down at your watch constantly. I know. When you look down at your watch, it's like, what, it's you got worse. somewhere to be? Exactly. But however, if you're just walking, you can do a quick glance and you're done. When you pick up your phone, you get distracted. All of a sudden, all the notifications you missed are there. All of a sudden, the app that you want to check or the app you want to get into. And all of a sudden, you're walking probably for 10 minutes flipping on your phone. Whereas with the, with the watch, there's, there's a lot less there to consume, a lot less information. Sure, you'll have all your notifications, but it should be quick glanceable stuff. So I think it'll help people keep their phones in their pocket and maybe look around where they're at a little bit more. I think it makes it easier to be distracted, though. I just feel like we're going to be just the ultimate distracted slaves. It does, but I think you'll be less distracted. And is it going to get, going to, get to the point that, that people just don't even know what to do or where to go without in getting some haptic feedback on their on their wrist, telling them what to do and which direction to go. And yes, I do. <laughs> I, I, I do not know anyone's phone numbers. Thanks to my phone. I used to pride myself on being able to memorize someone's phone number and know it, but that's a good use of technology. Like you shouldn't have to remember, remember phone numbers. True. Should we even have phone numbers? Anymore? I mean, what's your IP address right now? We don't, do you yeah, remember that? We'll just be IP addresses from <laughs> now on. No phone numbers. <laughs> that's what all you are to me. Anyway, <laughs> you're a good, guid, guid. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, so, uh, so okay, this thing says, uh, did you know that there are three components to, um, to Apple Watch for Salesforce? So there's the Salesforce Analytics Cloud, which pumps graphs into the watch so that bearers, quote, can drill down into original data sets to see where teams are selling the most product or how your performance matches up to forecasts. That is so marketing BS. Well, plus, how are you going to drill down into How are you going to get that much information into a tiny little screen like that? I mean, it says drill down into a data set. I mean, yeah. I guess... Maybe a four-bar graph of that data set? Okay. Salesforce One is the second component to deliver, quote, personal notifications to the watch so that digital markers, marketers can be alerted when a marketing campaign surpasses a goal. And employees can receive updates on key topics they follow in their communities, among other scenarios. Ooh, okay. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I, you know, what, I want to buzz every time someone, you know, hashtags some chatter post or something. Right. Maybe some people do. I mean, you, I mean, I'm not the most, you know, uh, loyal Salesforce and Chatter user, so I'm not. I'm not a good, you know, subject for this. But uh, and then there's Salesforce Wear Developer Pack to get coders. Coders, you're a coder, John. <laughs> because they they took over the term developer, so now they have to call actual developers yes. coders. So we're going to get coders building Salesforce centric apps for the Apple Watch. Salesforce centric, the time counter. Well, so, so there you go. There's there's your first app. Just build a. I'm gonna a I'm gonna create timer. an app and it's gonna say slave start working and then and then when you click that it's gonna have a, a counter <laughs> going and then when you're done it says it's gonna say slave stop working and you can tap that when you're done. That's not a reflection of Salesforce. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know that it's not. We've got we've that's, got, that's we've, got their, we've got their Internet of Things strapped to our body on various body parts. That's more of a reflection of you being tied to billable hours for a project you're not enjoying at the time. <clears throat> Otherwise, it's let's make some money and have some fun. Yeah. Okay, let's stop making some money and having exactly. some fun. Exactly. <laughs> uh, maybe programmable button labels would be better, right? So you can just, however you want to think about it. No, oh, there you go. Um, yeah, so there's a, bit of, there's a bit of bandwagoning and a bit of vaporware here, of course. All the Salesforce stuff, it's always vaporware for about 
a good year. Uh, analytics for the watch is expected to land in April 2015. So that's a month from now, less than a month. So uh, mark your calendar. We'll have it. Uh, when's the watch come out? Mid next month? That was me marking my calendar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and notifications are expected to be generally available the third quarter of this year. Uh, the developer pack is already ready to go. I, I think adoption will be fairly slow. I think there'll be a big push when it first comes out, and I think there'll be some on the fence, kind of waiting to see how it goes. Um, so I don't really see, I don't see it, it being kind of prevalent with a lot of people until probably early next year. Um, so Forrester, the analyst firm, they said sixty-eight uh, percent of all executives call wearables a priority for their customers. So the question is, is it enough of a priority for businesses to spend another 500 bucks per, per slave? Well, is the statement of priority for their customers, meaning that they want to be, for those customers that have a wearable, provide some kind of interface to them through there? Or is it that they want their Well, for their employees. companies. They said for their companies, not their customers. It's like, right. so. I guess a CEO or whoever's in charge of there's volume, in charge there's of, volume discounts. They'll, they'll, oh, they'll sure. do I, I don't know. Apple. Some of these companies buy cars for their employees to drive around in. I'm sure a phone is, is, is not yeah, that that's much ex- of a, I well, mean, that's a watch and yeah. a phone to pair with it. Yeah. Cause that's, that's the thing. It's, it's the watch isn't self-contained. It needs your phone. So, you know, but a lot more, a lot more employees get, you know, computers and phones than do cars though. Right. Right. I mean, most, com- most companies I've seen, you know, they're, they're so stingy on their computers that they make you, you know, use a computer that's super crusty and broken for, you know, that final third year because that's when the lease ends, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, really, this thing is a piece of junk. I'm like, nope. I think that's changing. I don't know. The last few companies I worked at, I was able to to buy a shiny new machine and send it through IT to configure. What was hard to get and I did not get was my request for a MacBook Pro. <laughs> Well, that's well. You they just, they offered it, but you had to have a very special need for it, and that was mainly the development oh. team that was working on Apple apps. Okay, or probably marketing or something, right? No, actually, it was primarily those guys that were really? working on Apple apps. They were that strict about it. So, how is it? So, you know, Mark Benioff has been talking about how he wants to be, you know, the biggest. What is he saying? Like the biggest software company in the world. He wants to grow to what the ten billion, the fastest. Oh, that's just that's just the next road. That's just the next speed bump. That's it's just the next, the next notch. Yeah. But now he wants to be the biggest software company. But uh, you know, it's and I think we've talked about this. But at what point did Salesforce stop being the no software company? I mean, now he's literally going out there and saying, you know, calling Salesforce a software company. And of course, I've called BS on that from day one. Of course, they're a software company. It's, I mean. When they started, the, the distinction between software that you ran on your local computer and software that was run on someone else's computer was, was somewhat novel. But now that's, that's just how software, it doesn't really matter. Software well, so we, is everywhere. We've debated this before, and I don't think the no software campaign or whatever we want to call it, I don't think it was intended to mean no software. It was intended to mean no installed software, I meaning you're not having to install something. Yeah, except or uh, you need to install people, that Outlook connector and you need to install uh, you know, all this well, other stuff. True, but people traditionally don't, Treat websites as software. They treat them as websites. They call them websites. They call that, them web applications. You install that Salesforce One app on your phone, and uh, well, mobile you know. did change everything in terms of apps. I mean, what the '90s? It was all about websites. You had to have a website. If 
you're anybody who's anybody, you have to have a website. And, and now to, the next bubble and the next thing is you have to have a mobile app. And I have to give you credit. You are you are always downplaying the hype of of the web enabled world. You were you were anti web man. You I was so I was anti web application because I think native does it better. I still am to a point. So do you think it'd be better to run a native CRM application? You think it'd be, Salesforce would be better off if you had to install everything on your on your local uh, Oracle server? No, no, I don't. I think there are there are certain applications that do that are better served as a web application. But I think in terms of performance and and interact, you know, interacting with the OS and taking advantages of the features that are in the OS. You know, a native app is the best way to go. Yeah. I mean, it's all about the, what the use case is. Uh, so, yeah. So, Benioff says uh, Salesforce will hit $6 billion by next year. Um, and from there, it is, it is crystal clear. Uh, it's, crystal. it's his crystal clear dream to become the first and fastest software company to hit $10 billion in annual revenue. Now, one thing, and I did not follow up on this, so I'm irritated at myself. But we, this was you know, a few months ago, Mark was talking about how they're the only software company that's been able to grow at this 30% clip once, the, once you're in the billions of sizes. And so I went and looked at three companies, all related to, and similar to Salesforce, just to see if that was even true. Looked at uh, Microsoft, Oracle, and someone else. I can't remember which one it was now. And I went and pulled their, their 10Ks from when they were about Salesforce's size. So this was like in, like in the 90s. And all of them gr- had growth rates that were faster than, I mean, like I think Oracle's, you know, had some in the upper 30% and so did Microsoft, maybe even 40%. So that was complete BS. But now he's claiming he's going to be the first company to hit $10 billion in whatever amount of time this is. Now Salesforce has been around for 16 years. I mean, someone, I'm sure someone listening can, will, uh, will do this research and get back to us. But are they the first company in 16 years to hit $10 billion in, if you especially adjust for inflation? I don't, I don't think it's the first to hit $10 billion. I don't, I don't, think, he, I don't I, think he does this research before he says these no, things. I don't think that's what he was saying. I think he was saying he wanted to be the, the one to get there the fastest. Okay. Crystal Clear Dream is to become the first and fastest software company to hit $10 billion in annual revenue. I, who knows what he meant? Um. So he says, Salesforce is now the sixth largest software company in the world, the number one cloud computing company in the world, very unique in the industry. Um, and it says, uh, that's right, go on. Scrub that old Salesforce logo of no software from your brain. That never happened. Salesforce.com is a software company. Got it? <laughs> and that's the article's author saying yes. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure they will hit, they're definitely on track to hit $6 billion this next year. The question is like, does the growth rate stay? I mean, I think the growth rate's already started Slowing, which is why we talked about this last time. Right. They are selling uh, longer-term contracts, so their deferred revenue like artificially bumps up. Right. So, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> sucks. Or just remember. Look at the deferred revenue number. <laughs> right. It's all about <laughs> the deferred revenue now. And I forgot. Uh, what did I forget? So was the 111 model change? Oh, here we to go. To be, uh, what is it, time... Deferred revenue <laughs> and uh, something. Oh, exactly. Yeah, one so, percent of deferred revenue. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> well, it doesn't quite roll off the tongue the same way. It doesn't. <laughs> uh, but keep in mind, it is absolutely my dream, and I'm dedicated to being the fastest to ten billion. See, he said it right there. The fastest to ten billion. Yeah, he's not saying that no one else hasn't. He's just saying I want to do it the fastest. Yeah, right. 
Right. And I'm just wondering, I mean, is that not too late? Has there never been a company that got to 10 billion in current dollar terms um, in 16 years? Maybe there, maybe there hasn't. I mean, yeah. I just, it's sometimes fun to fact check these because what you find is no one has fact checked them and they turn out to be absolutely wrong. He's gamifying CEO. No, he's, gamif- he's gamifying being CEO. He's gamifying uh, news coverage. He's probably got it programmed. And he's it, winning. He's, he's probably got it programmed into his Fitbit that, it, you know, the time frame and everything to 10 billion and he's just gamified it. So now, now growing Salesforce is a game. That's, that's not a bad strategy. By the way, how did you like the, uh, the, the closing audio I put together for the last episode of the, all the bits of he, uh, he and Kramer? And that, that was all from one interview. And how much it was so obvious that Kramer was just leading, leading the witness. It, it seemed very prepared that, that they were all speaking the same speak. Yeah. So it's clear that what happens is when, when Mark's going to go on Kramer, the PR department sends over the talking points to Kramer. I mean, he's flipping through it. You can see him. You can even hear it. He's flipping, he's flipping through the talking points and then just leads Mark on all these questions. Um, let's see. I think I, let me see if I can play this because I was really uh, kind of proud of that. I don't know if this is going to work though. Let me see. Very good quarter. A stunning quarter. Congratulations, sir, on a great quarter. An unbelievable fiscal year. The stock's roaring way beyond everybody's expectation. Look at the deferred revenue number. The deferred revenue blew it out very, very big on Salesforce has become the fastest enterprise software company to hit the $5 billion revenue mark. The fastest to $5 billion. Next quarter, we're going to be the fastest to $6 billion. I think it'll be the fastest to hit $10 billion. It is absolutely my dream, and I'm dedicated to being the fastest to $10 billion. You'll be the fastest ever to get to $10 billion. I mean, already. Isn't, <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. This is, this is news. Of course, this is TV news, and we all know right. the TV news is a bunch of BS. But, but I mean, Kramer, I think Kramer's show is, is all entertainment value, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It, I mean, what, it's an inter- entertainment show. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's like you're, instead of gossip entertainment, it's finance, financial entertainment. Yeah. In sales, absolutely momentous, spectacular. It's unbelievable, fantastic, amazing, phenomenal, incredible, unbelievable story. Amazing, unbelievable, a beautiful system, phenomenal, unbelievable. Thanks, Jim. Great to see you. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Well, checks in checks the mail. In the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> your bell. Ding your bell for me. Need a bell. Oh, there's some other sad, uh, sad um, news related to the crappy news business. Uh, Gigaohm, yeah, light, gone? light a candle, right? Out Are they business. still gone? Are they? Oh. So this was last week when we noticed this, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I saw it on Twitter. All of a sudden, just you know, this storm because I follow you know various um, of these news guys. Oh wait, they have a website back up. Look at this. But it's nothing new. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but yeah, so they just posted an announcement all of a sudden on their website that said, you know, we can't pay our bills and our creditors own the place now. Right. So that kind of sucks because there were a few people that were covering. Actually, they, they were focused quite a bit on enterprise tech. So they covered the whole cloud and virtualization in a, in a, in a really kind of a real way, not just like. Right, software as a service, and like uh, so much of t- so much of tech news now is just really it's just um, it's just uh, lifestyle. 
watches and phones and the latest, you know, netbook and whatever. It's, it's become just, fashion. It's just, I mean, it's really just lifestyle. It's not right. really, they're not really covering technology. Whereas, I mean, GigaOM did have some people that were doing, you know, enterprise tech and cloud. So that's kind of a bummer. Um, yeah, I don't think they've had any recent posts since March 9th, which is when it went down. And they were in the midst of covering the Apple Watch conference, right? I believe. I think that was the last yeah. post was something about the watch. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so I, there were, you know, several people had r- written, of course, articles about, about the GigaOM closure. Um, but yeah, so here's, um, I don't even know where this is from, but it says, it seems that even with a healthy six and a half million u- unique visitors a month and a claimed roster of 200 quote analysts, unquote, <laughs> And a subscription model that's reported to have been working. The cost of running what was primarily a news organization was crippling GigaOM in the context of available advertising revenue. So that the you know interesting thing about quote analysts because, like I've said, so many of these enterprise analysts. Are you telling me to be quieter? <laughs> so many of these enterprise tech analysts are just they're just like basement bloggers, and 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 I don't actually mean that in a derogatory way. I just mean that they don't. I don't think they really have like the the credibility or the capability to do what they say they're doing ostensibly. I mean, they're they're probably no different than us. You know, we're, we're taking some information, we're giving our thoughts and opinions on it. Maybe we do a little research here and there, but we don't call ourselves analysts. Yeah. I would never, I would never charge someone money for this podcast. It's it's like, yeah, it's like (laughs) us coming on this show and saying, yep, we're analysts and you should trust us. And here's, here's the, here's the, the news. Well, the worst thing is, is if we were, if we were going through, and looking at the you know various news articles of the day and just copying and pasting you know one paragraph from one side another paragraph from another side another paragraph from another, from another side and just reading that as a, as a news podcast right and pretending like we went out and sourced all this material and that's what so many of them do they just are rehashing press releases most of them just straight up press releases they're just re- literally rehashing a press release that Salesforce sent to them or i'm just using Salesforce as you know Press releases can be the catalyst for an analysis. I mean, you could take the information that was released in a in a in a press release and analyze it. If and, you're an analyst, yes. yes, or you know exactly. I mean, and then what do you do? You get on the phone, or you go visit the company, or you go to their their trade show on your own dime, by the way, and you you investigate, you do interviews, you ask tough questions, you probe. Right. You know, you don't just you don't get paid to go there by the vendor that you're covering, and then just you know give coverage that is basically reads like a press release that I know all positive coverage, but this is interesting. So astute business observers have already noticed the decline in reporting quality among the technical titles, often little more than rehashed press releases or at best skin deep analysis is the order of the day. Those who have jumped ship to the vendor community, Peter <coughs> coffee um, have all have often found themselves quickly swallowed up by PR dogma. That leaves the open field to the vendor community with its deep and controlling pockets to seek and create agendas they want as a part of marketing. In that sense, what we see is a logical extension of the status quo and a natural evolution. I'm not sure what that last part means, but it's like exactly what I've been saying. This was in Diginomica. Diginomica? Diginomica? This was uh, Dennis Hallett. He actually, you know, that's a guy who separates himself from the basement bloggers. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not sure if he gets paid to, he might get paid by vendors to come see them, but I've seen him write some really just like factual critical stuff of vendors that he, you know, went to Dreamforce or whatever it was to cover stuff. Actually, I don't right. know if he, I'm not really sure if he covers Salesforce. I don't remember, but 
I think he does on occasion cover Salesforce. But yeah, I mean, jumping ship to the vendor community. That's, I guess that's, I don't know, common. It reminds me of the, uh, the revolving door of the, of the White House and, and uh, lobbyists. Press secretary or yeah, the, the press and just, or any, anyone in an, like in a presidential administration, it's like, yeah. you know, that, that revolving door that we always hear about. But the vendors with their deep and controlling pockets seek to create the agendas they want as a part of marketing. So another one down who's left. Who's doing good enterprise tech reporting. Silence. Crickets. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's, it's such, it's an industry that has so much growth and there's so much investment into these startups and everything that's going on that I'm sure a lot of the, the news and coverage is, is designed. It's all PR. It's all people who, who have, you know, can push the right buttons and talk to the right people to get a certain message out. And that, that type of process, I think, pays a lot of bills. So unless you're 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 a big enough organization or a news organization that wants to cover that area in a very factual, critical, you know, analyst eye, um, I don't know who who's out there that's doing that. Yeah, we all got to pay bills, man. Yep. And do people really want that type of dry analytics all the time? I mean, I think a lot of people are, especially in the tech, they're they're reading it as entertainment. It's tech porn. Or maybe it's just, it's, it's like business lifestyle, right? Yeah. If, as far as, as far as tech reporting goes on the lifestyle thing, it's yeah, just business so, lifestyle. So they want to be entertained while they're reading about tech. And then you got, you know, these, the big analyst companies like Gartner and Forrester. I mean, look at Gartner, for example. I mean, every sizable tech company pays Gartner a ridiculous sum of money on a quarterly or annual basis. Because, you know, you want to be a member of Gartner so that you get access to the re reporting. But really mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're paying to get the kind of coverage you want. Well, even as consumers, you have to pay to get access to those. Well, you basically, I mean, as an individual, you basically can't get access to Gartner. Yeah. I mean, unless you, unless you have that kind of budget as, on a personal basis. I don't know why someone Of course would. I do. What are you talking about? <laughs> Rolling. All the, all the revenue <laughs> profit from this podcast that we do. You, know, you got to you know, have this cash burning a hole in your pocket. Yeah. And spend it somewhere. Okay, so uh, Service Cloud gets data science. Did you hear about this data one? Data science. Um, yeah, so uh, it, you know, so you have a call center, I guess. You run uh, Salesforce Service Cloud, mm -hmm. which is, I guess, what they call it now. It's, uh, you know, Salesforce has seven clouds now. Seven clouds. I hear people report on that as if I actually think that they think that there are these like physical. There are seven clouds. Does, doesn't lightning come before the storm? So, so you hear, you see the lightning and you've got all these clouds and, and you have enough clouds. That's going to make a storm, right? So, so the next thing we're going to get at Dreamforce is going to be dubbed storm. We got clouds, we got lightning, you know, we just need storm. I think they avoid storm because it's got that negative kind of, it's, you know, the uh, destruction and, and death. Well, they want to, they want to storm the industry. Yeah, you don't want destruction and death. Oh, that would be dramatic. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, so, okay, so back to the data science that Salesforce, I, 
I guess they learned that data science is a thing. That's why it's been reported. Salesforce all of a sudden got data science. Like there was before data science and after data science. It's because they were listening to this show and they were, they were listening to gripe about how analytics is not a bunch of charts. <laughs> <laughs> and they went and looked up in Wikipedia. They're like, damn, they're right. We didn't know what analytics was. <laughs> Um, but no, like uh, calls come in and I guess you can uh, route the calls to the best person, depending on what their knowledge is or whichever agent is best suited to deal with that problem. And it will just figure it out because science. So is, is that internal to, to service cloud within Salesforce? Or is yeah. this a third party tool that's doing that? No, it's, it's internal. Because the, the only news item I have is actually kind of related to that. And that's um, insidesales.com. That Salesforce recently invested sixty million dollars in. I saw that, um, and they yeah. also just um, they're they're now going to be available for other some some non Salesforce platform. That was the latest news. Yeah, I, saw. I think the other thing is is Microsoft is also investing into them, and I'm not sure if that's through some other venture. It was unclear from the article how Microsoft was investing. If it was just direct investment, or if they were somehow involved with the Salesforce Ventures group. But yeah, Inside Sales um, has some predictive analysis, analytics yeah. tools within it. And of course, Inside Sales does the, the power dialer. So if you're in a call center and you're using the dialer, it's, it's their dialer. Mm, sounds like a fun job to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the things, the coverage I saw pointed out the fact that like all, most other insurance CRM vendors or service whatever vendors have had this feature for years. But hey, better late than never. I think I mean Salesforce has had routing, but it's never been an automated analysis, right? Is that what this is offering? Some kind of automation or rule set that says, yeah, I mean, beyond what, just simple X equals Y, then go to B. Right. It's I mean it's using statistics like inferential statistics to try to figure out <laughs> to try to figure out which agent would be best. It's not just simple. You know, it's not like just like a decision tree. Like oh, you need. You called in about product X. Okay, route to this team. It's not. It's not that. It's more probabilities of. It's. It's probably all. It's probabilities and stuff based on historical right. data or something, which is kind of cool. I don't. I don't really do service cloud stuff. I think it's an app that's fairly self-contained. There's very little customization aside from maybe some automation that we might do around cases and things. But for the most part, I think the application is fairly self-sufficient. At least for most needs. You know, they've um, the console has gotten a lot of upgrades over the years. Yeah, and it could use some more. I mean, it, it's definitely getting long in the tooth in terms of the way it works and things. But you know, it's, it's still fairly valuable and useful. I mean, speaking of that, I was just thinking the other day, like this this supposed effort going on to replace all of Salesforce's you know desktop web UI with a Salesforce One type of thing, and I was just thinking about. Now that Salesforce has made all these acquisitions and has so much functionality under the Salesforce banner, what an effort that must be. And how I, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, that's impossible. You can never pull off a big bang conversion to Salesforce One. Probably not, especially as you get entrenched with the enterprise, because we know enterprise is very resistant to change, um, significant change. Yeah. Because it's expensive. Change is expensive. Well, and even even a six billion dollar company who spends a billion dollars a year on on development, research, and stuff—that's just especially with all the other stuff they have going on—to completely overhaul the entire UI of every part of Salesforce just not happening. 
Now, what they could do is all for the main part. So they could take like, you know, the, the sales cloud. Yeah. And, you know, I'm free to give them a pass on some of these other things. Because like you said, it, it is a, a gargantuan task. I'll use that word. But I think in other ways, they've messed up. Um, in fact, that leads into my next topic. Well, because we were talking about um, Salesforce being able to change and kind of create that whole unified experience. Um, even with all these kind of acquisitions they've been doing. And um, I, I think they really kind of messed up with something that they just released that I think they probably should have taken a little more time. Um, either that or I'm not seeing the big picture and there's something that's going to unify it. And I'm talking about the process builder. Okay. So I got the chance to go to um, the developer. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about week. this yet. I have predictions about this. About what? About, okay, so you went to the, what are they called? The lightning something? Well, it was the, yeah, it was the developer user group here in Dallas, Texas. And um, it was actually a rescheduled event for the lightning um, work group. I think think that's what they're calling it. Either way, they did this kind of whole roadshow on lightning. Hey, we're going to show you what it is, the process builder, the, the connectors and the components and things like that. Um. I could go straight into that, but I kind of want to give a little bit of a review on the developer group itself. It's a great group. There's a lot of good people. Like this is what I have predictions on. Okay. Can I make them now? Make them now. Okay. Um, so my first prediction is that it was held in a room that was probably half of the size of what they actually needed. No. No. Dang it. Okay. It was actually filled to capacity this time. It was filled, but it wasn't over full. It was over full. It was. We had some standing. Okay, good. So give me a ding. That's what I said. Oh, is that what your prediction? Yeah, I thought yeah. you said it would be no, half it was, full. Yeah. They cram, they cram you in there like a bunch of sardines. Yeah, we were, we were definitely sardines. Okay. Um, my second prediction is that it stunk. The room just smelled like developers who need to take a shower. <laughs> no, I won't no? give you that one. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, let's see. Third prediction. Uh, they spent way too much time obsessively talking about certifications. No, that was actually very brief. (laughs) They did mention it. They did talk about offering help with gaining your certification for 401 and 501. Um, So let's see. My last one would be that uh, the the main presentation was just really low level and boring, and you wanted to walk out halfway through it. Uh, I want to give you, you mean high level. Not low level. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess. Was, I think that's what you're yeah, trying just, to say. Right. I want to give you like partial credit. Right, well, Only on the high level, on the it being high level. So I'll give you a half assed ding. There. Okay. A half assed ding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So tell me about your, your event. So, okay. So, so they had someone come up to do the, the lightning presentation. Of course, this was a rescheduled event. So I'm not sure if anything about it changed or was kind of rushed because of that whole rescheduling. And the other the other thing I want to give them is we only had an hour um, to go through this, you know. Like after from beginning to end of that, I think the whole thing lasts maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours. But either way, that a lot of stuff got covered to start with. You know, all the little boilerplate stuff, introduce new people, all those kind of things, and then you start getting into the meat of the, of the discussions. And because this was a lightning event, I think Salesforce had one of their guys come up there, and he was, I guess, a professional services. Um, architect 
So someone that goes out and helps oh. people implement these things. Um, Wasn't a developer evangelist? Was not a developer evangelist and was not any way involved in the development of any of this. Just someone who, okay. like that, us, goes around that, and... That has to use it. That has to use it, right. Okay, cool. So he was able to kind of answer a few questions as they went. Um, but my problem with the group itself is that it is called a developer group. And if you go in thinking you're going to go in and learn some really low-level stuff, that this is not going to happen. Uh, and mainly because Salesforce blurs the line of what a developer is. There are plenty of people there, especially new ones who introduced themselves to the group, who said, we just started using Salesforce in our company and we're we're just admins or we're just doing some configuration. You know, no one's actually opening up Apex or anything like that. And in fact, in some of the questions that were being asked, um, especially when we got into some of the components and things like that, um, there were really basic questions that, you know, if you're a developer, you'd know the answer to. Um, and unfortunately, those questions ended up taking a lot of our time. Yeah. So we had to rush other sections of, of the, the presentation. Yep. But the, it was done by Gavita Raju. And um, again, she just did a high level, um, but she was actually fairly entertaining in, in doing it and dealing with the crowd and just dealing with little things they came up with. You know, she made you laugh. That raucous crowd of Salesforce developers. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know they're just asking all these questions and, you now, know. Now, John, did we miss our intro that I'd prepared? For you, that you, you were requested. supposed to give me a lightning intro, but I, I wasn't going to do that until the process builder part. Okay, all right. Since I'm just talking about developer group now, we'll get into the lightning. Getting a little twitchy. I know, I, I had to ruin it by bringing it up, but yeah, that's okay. Yeah, getting a little twitchy. All right. All right, so Raju, she did a good job. Yeah, she did a really good job. And I think the group as a whole, just to give my review of the group, is, is pretty good. Um, you know, there's some regulars there that show up. You know, you get fed some pizza and some Coke and whatever. Um, there, there are people who stood up and said, Hey, we're looking for, for this type of person to hire. And there are people who stood up and said, Hey, I'm looking for a job. So it, it's a great place to go. If you have, if you just have a need for something, either hire someone or, or even just kind of look for something and put your name out there. Were the recruiters there? Were they, was it re- sponsored by recruiters? No, it was not. No, no who, these are just members of the group who well, work for other companies that were standing up and saying, Hey, so where was the event? Um, it was actually, you and I have been there before. Improving? Yes. Improving. Yeah, so they basically are recruiters. So they, yeah. And you, was there a sign in sheet? There was a sign in sheet and yes, that was one part of it. But the, uh, the, the part that I'm saying that there were people just actual members of the group that said, Hey, we're looking for an admin. Yeah. If you're interested, come talk to me. Right. And then another guy who said, Hey, I'm looking for work. Yeah. Come talk to me. So, so I think those kind of networking events are, are good and it's good to meet people and talk to people and all those kind of things. But yeah, if you're looking for in in-depth details i doubt you'll get it well i mean there i guess it's really not the the place for super super in-depth stuff i mean they're true but I, I would like to spend more time you know talking about the you know the structure of the language or whatever tools we're using and things like that and less on the point and click stuff but the point and click is what you get as a developer in salesforce well yeah i mean you've taken the i mean you've taken the developer certification right <laughs> It's, it's all it is, is point and click, right? Yeah, There's, I mean, it's, it's all built around, can you develop a application using the Salesforce tools, which right. are point and click? So, so now we can move on to the process builder. All right. And so this is the thing that you, uh, you think is not fully baked. I have a lot of problems with it. Okay. And, is, this, uh, is this lightning? This is 
the lightning. Well, this process builder is in there, but it's part of the lightning toolkit. It's, you know, it's what you use to build things. I just, I'm just looking for my queue. Go for it. All right. Salesforce one lightning. <laughs> you hear that storm in the background oh, yeah. off in the distance. This is, this is all a prequel to all that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But you're talking about process builder specifically, right? Process builder specifically. This is the the new point and click tool. And um, with the introduction of process builder, we now have, if I'm generous, four new point and click tools that are incompatible with each other, have the opportunity of stepping over each other, um, and each have their own unique interface of old and new. We have workflow, we have flows or the visual workflow designer, whatever you want to call it. We have process builder. And I say this kind of to a lesser extent, uh, approval processes. Okay. But didn't, didn't the process builder replace visual workflow or isn't that the plan? No, no. Cause you can use visual workflow to build it kind of queued up interfaces, almost wizard like interfaces to say, Hey, when this happens, you know, oh, send them to this and do this. So it's almost like a, it's a visual workflow. Um, and the problem is these are all separate, unique tools. They're not cohesive. You think something from Salesforce as an application, as a software enterprise software vendor would create something a little more cohesive, um, something that, that was just kind of a single product. Yeah, so it turns out that's very hard. I think that's why they're, and some of these things came from acquisitions too. Like, was it the visual workflow came from an acquisition, right? Right. And I remember when they first lit that thing up, it looked I mean, you would be going through setup, and if you accidentally, you know, kind of landed on the visual workflow, I mean, it would load. You know, you could tell there were a bunch of extra JavaScripts and CSS loading because it would it would take like a you know another eight seconds just to load this thing, right. and it looks completely different, you know, from any other Salesforce tool. Yeah. So, I mean, I have I have a few, I have some major gripes with it, but I think I want to start with some of the things that is great about it. I mean, people seem to genuinely like it. There's a lot of I'm not going to call them fanboys, but there's a lot of people that are really excited about the process builder and the things you can do with it. Um, in fact, we don't have a clip of this, but there's, we'll have to put it in the show notes, but there's, there's a guy who, who whipped out his acoustic guitar and wrote a song, a ballad, we'll say to, uh, to the Salesforce process builder. I heard about, I heard about that. Yeah. So maybe you can find it and we'll, we'll cue it up for a bit and you can play like this little piece of it. Um, well, if that guy's not drinking the Kool-Aid, then no kidding. <laughs> That's funny though. That's cool. <laughs> eh, it's all in good fun. I'm, right? I'm sure he'll get a free Dreamforce ticket for that. Hey, maybe he'll get to perform. I know. Maybe he'll get to perform his song. I'm going to say we knew him when. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'd be a YouTube sensation. That's right. But yeah, the first thing that I, that I noticed when I, when I started using the process builder is when you access it, it takes you out of Salesforce completely. You don't have your Salesforce header. You don't have your setup menu. You don't have your sidebar. You have nothing related to Salesforce. You have the builder with some very unique looking interface. Um, and there's a little link at the top that says back to Salesforce. And that's what you use to close it and get back into your interface. So you no longer have your tabs. You have no longer the ability to kind of, oh, I need to see what, what's in this object or anything like that. John, it's an immersive experience. <laughs> <laughs> Can't have the distraction of all these tabs and clouds. 
And, you know, to, to that point, that is one good thing about it is you don't have the distraction of all those extra tabs. You don't have that huge header. Those are called header. clouds. You don't have that huge header taking up a lot of real estate. So now yeah. you have more time to yeah. focus With on like your The, the Dreamforce, big Dreamforce advertisement banner ad or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> you can just focus on your process. It's by design. Of course. <laughs> they meant to do that. <laughs> yeah. So, and so, my, so is that a good thing or a bad thing that it takes you out of Salesforce? It's probably a good thing for productivity. It's probably a bad thing in that you don't realize you're in Salesforce. It's you're completely out of Salesforce. Are you afraid you're going to forget? Oh my gosh, what is this new app? What was I doing? Oh yeah, I was working in Salesforce. <laughs> I, I guess I think to my own workflow when I'm configuring something, I'm bouncing back and forth between different screens, or I'll configure a layout and jump into this to an object record to see how it looks, or you know, with with all that data. And I'm jumping around. I'm, I'm, I create new tabs for setup and things like that to get into and configure something new. Maybe I'm working on a process flow and I need, a, I need to create a field. Well, if I don't already have Salesforce in another tab, this thing has taken me out of Salesforce so I can't get into setup. So well, I can't go in and create what? a new field. Just command click next time you want to open the process builder so it opens it up in the new tab. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm giving you my grievances. <laughs> don't solve my problems. <laughs> <laughs> So, so that was one thing. Um, the next thing before I get to probably my most heinous, or I don't know what Ooh. to win. I don't want to say heinous, wow. but the biggest thing I hate about it, I'll, I'll save for last. The, the next thing is, I think flows works the same way in that you can't edit your, once you activate it, you can't edit them. You basically have to clone it and create a new version of it. So you're, you're cloning and you're creating all these new versions of the processes or just creating flat out new ones. To be able to do that. And that's because they're creating them. They're, they're immutable. For what purpose? I don't know. How does that it's help productivity? Immutable. How does that help me get this done or make a small tweak to it or make a it, small tweak to the filter? It reduces bugs. Immuta you, immutability the, reduces bugs. There's no test mechanism in it. There's nothing that says, hey, I built this process, click test, and let's see what happens. So that means you have to create it, activate it, test it. Oh, that wasn't right. Let me go in, clone. In, in production, by the way. Clone, yes. All in, oh, oh! I love that you said that because you can't deploy these. John's gotten excited. You can't deploy these. They're not in the metadata. They're not in chain sets. So you have to build these in production. And someone had asked that at the user group and Miss um, Gavita kind of laughed and said, why would you want to do this in a sandbox? Well, do it in production. She's a typical PS engineer. They're, they're not, these aren't exactly <laughs> software development And experts. I just, I couldn't help but just kind of sit back, roll my eyes and go, oh my God, why would you want to do it in production? Why would you want to affect your live production interfaces? You can, you can lead a horse to water, John. What if your you flow is broken? What if your flow accidentally updates 10 million records with a new value? Just test it. If it works, you're good. You can't test it unless you activate it. So I, I have a new, you know, the people say, if it's not in Salesforce, it doesn't exist, right? You, yeah. know what my, you know what my take on that is? If it's not in metadata, it doesn't exist. <laughs> I think deployment for these is maybe coming, but you can't deploy them. But so Salesforce, right now you have to build about, them in production. What about the 10,000 APIs or whatever, the 10x APIs, thousands of APIs and all this kind of stuff. And there's, there are like 250 things that you can't that aren't accessible via metadata, which means they're manual. You can't deploy them. You can't have any kind of rational development and testing, you know, system flow. Right. You know, development life cycle. If you have a bunch of manual crap and it, and it gets to where, if you look at the list, it's a ton of stuff. 
then I'm sorry, but you don't have a good process and it's not enterprise. Yeah. That is amateur. So now we get to come to the thing I hate most about process builder. And maybe for, for those guys that are point and click, this isn't that big of an issue. <laughs> and that uh, is when Salesforce said they're building a point and click tool for you to, to do this. They meant point and click. A lot of clickies and points. Oh, it is so clicky. You have to, if you're going to configure, say, an, a criteria, let's just start with a criteria. Hell, even Rollup Helper doesn't even get this wrong, and I hate Rollup Helper. You have to select the object that you want in the criteria, and you do that by select clicking on this dropdown that opens a pop-up. That pop-up has another dropdown that pop lets you select the field. Pop modals of modals. And of what happens when you select the field you want? Oh, you get a nice little icon. And then you have to click save on that dialog to close the dialog. And I'm sure they're all perfectly keyboard enabled too, right? No. <laughs> in fact, whenever you open it, it doesn't even default focus uh, into that field. Yeah. So you can't even just start open it and start typing it. You have to actually click into it and do the dropdown. Enterprise software. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just the start of the rant because it goes. Now, how many billions of dollars do you need to keyboard enable your, your flagship applications? One uh, dollar. I don't know. Just saying. I mean, we're almost. To, we're going to be at ten billion before you know it. How? What? Where do we have to get before we? There's already an event that says open pop up. All you have to do is set focus on this on this element. Yeah. So I mean, how, yeah. how how do you build this and use it as a developer and go? You know what? That should that should auto focus right there. People that just don't have that that thing that that the, the they don't have the particular taste for. A well-built application. They wouldn't. They wouldn't appreciate a well-built application versus a kind of a poorly built one. Right. So, so you keep going, and you go, you go through this over and over. It gets repetitive. You have to. You go into the criteria, set up your fields. You start point pointing and clicking everywhere. All these pop-ups are showing up. Um, nothing's autofocus, and you have to click and drop down and everything. And then you have to go through the trouble of actually clicking save and saying yes, this is the field I really wanted. Unlike formula builder things where you select it and automatically puts it in there for you, um, it's, it gets really cumbersome really fast. So if you're building something really major or really big and complex, it's going to take you a while. And this is a multiplier of the problem of it's not available in metadata. Right. You've got to do all that crap perfectly. And every change you make, you have to make the same change in all your sandboxes and production and everything. I mean, to me, that's just, that's an absolute deal breaker. Not using it. I'm not using it. It's a bad idea. Don't use Process Builder. <laughs> so it, uh, with Process Builder, you can do a few things. You can post a chatter. You can post an alert. You can actually update child records. So you can say, when this account changes, update this field and all the contacts. So it's kind of a great way to keep certain things in sync top down. It doesn't let you, however, do what Workflow does, which is update fields on the actual object. So I can't say, if this XYZ happens on this account, then set the field on this account to, you know, A or B. It doesn't let you do that. You still have to use workflow for that. Um, it does let you kind of trigger things. It'll let you trigger a flow using the process builder and it'll let you trigger Apex code. A, a, a visual flow thing? Yeah. Okay. yeah. So you can have all these, this process that runs things and says, oh, we need to initiate a flow here. And it'll let you do that. Um, it'll also let you initiate Apex code, which is interesting. Um, this is just, I mean, I just feel like this is, they're just adding way more ways to create 
just these even huger, completely proprietary, not very well testable, not very well deployable, massive enterprise application piles of deferred revenue. I'll bleep that. Uh, it, it does create an additional layer of complexity. How many clients, no how many unit. companies are going to call you, do you think, over the next five years and say, holy crap, we have gotten ourselves completely hogtied? Well, you can, if, you, if your process breaks something, you can easily deactivate something. However, all the damage it did prior to that exists. Or all the things that were dependent on it and, or it depended on. It's no different than the problem we have today with workflows and field updates where, you know, we have code that's doing certain things. The workflow or even just change in validation rules changes that. And now our code is either invalid or the tests are invalid and those have to be fixed. So this is just another layer where the point and click tools are getting in the way of developers being able to do the things they need to do because it's not running tests. I mean, even even if it was more testable and deployable, I still, I mean, it's still so new that I, it's too new for me to recommend to clients. I mean, they should look at it. You know, it should be on their horizon and it should be a consideration for, for future things as something we, you know, we need to keep an eye on, but it's just not. Well, those that are there. fans of it are are loving it and they say it's going to be the end of triggers because they hate triggers because they don't understand them. You know, they, because, we all fear what we don't understand. Triggers, it's this magic triggers stuff actually that, make you get the details right. It's this magic stuff that happens that that guy does over there that I don't trust because I, mean, trigger, I don't know what he's triggers doing. Triggers are just apex. It's, it's, it's basically Java. I mean, I think, I think about half of the people on the face of the planet can read Java at this point. Well, yeah. I think the problem with triggers is it, it's the problem with anything. You either have a good developer who's going to do it well and everything works well because of that, or you're going to have really crappy developers yeah. doing really crappy stuff. And because you have no way of, of fixing that or getting help for that, like you do a point and click tool, it's not like you can go to the shell black whiteboard and, and see how he, he configures this and you can go, oh, I can fix that. You know, even though that guy I hired messed it up, I've got point and click tools, I can fix it. With Apex code, you can't do that. You have to find a good developer. Yeah, and how do you, I mean, just how do you do basic things? How do you, how do you look at changes and merges and history and how do you, how do you do a global search and replace? And I mean, what does this all look like? I mean, it's not even available as metadata, right? So I, so you can't even, you couldn't even search through all your, the text of your metadata to, to when you're, when you're trying to change I, or develop things. I don't know if the storage mechanism behind this is going to be compatible with the metadata system well, they have today. Oh, I bet it would. I bet it could be. If, even if, even if it's just an, an embedded XML document and that, that represents that, that process um, just embedded in, you know, the one of the I, metadata I just files. imagine it's a harder problem than, than just exposing. But it just, I don't, I'm sure it's a, I'm sure it's not an easy problem, but it just, like you said, you know, they were given a data when, when this thing's launching. And when you do that, when you're on a team and you're given a data, when this thing's launching, you prioritize all your features. Okay. Having it metadata enabled, was it the bottom of that list or closer to the bottom of that list and did not make it along with probably a lot of other things did make it too. Right. But they got something out the door and they were able to demo something at Dreamforce. And now they have something to talk about on their road shows. Their stinky, sardine, packed in, boring road shows. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't stinky. <laughs> you looked out. And they, my nose is very sensitive. So if it was stinky, I would have, I would have been wow. complaining. But I was in the very back of the room in the back corner. So no one around me was stinky. That's good. <laughs> you lucked out on that one. But they did have some nice t-shirts, uh, which I didn't pick up. I didn't get a shirt. Say, where's my shirt, man? 
I didn't get a shirt. I did get a sticker and I was going to bring it to you. It was, um, it was the little lightning car sticker, the race car. However, my son saw it and took it and it's now on his bedroom door. However, I am not allowed to call it the lightning car. It is the flash car because he likes the flash. Oh, okay. And it's got the lightning bolt on it. So it is now the flash car. So anyways, we, we went through that. And the whole point of the, the, the meeting was to kind of show, you know, we've got this process builder that can do all this stuff and you don't have to write code, you know, get rid of those icky developers. You don't need them anymore. They're too expensive anyways. And the people that couldn't cut it as developers, they're the ones building your enterprise <laughs> software now. That, that makes a lot of sense. You know what? It's like anything. You're either good at what you do, whether it's point and click or writing some code, or you're not. You're either good enough to configure you, things the right way. Or you just fake it. And a lot of larger companies, that's good enough. You know, point and click can make something happen, sure. But you do have to have the right mindset to point and click something the right way, just like you would a developer. You know, the funny thing is, I mean, on a, in a sizable company organization where you've got you know, multiple developers, sandboxes, and a, and a well-defined flow and testing process for, your, for de, you know, developing your Salesforce org and deploying and everything, even, even something as simple as the good old point-and-click, you know, adding a field to the account object, even that you don't do point-and-click anymore. No. It's got to be in your metadata. It's got to be tracked. It's got to be in Git. It's got to be part of your, uh, your build. You know, your, your continuous integration. Right. And it's got to be tracked. And therefore you can't, I mean, even for the most basic point and click stuff, you really can't point and click. And you know what? That's okay. I'm okay with that. That's the way to do it. I mean, you know, in traditional software development, if you have like some kind of relational database, you know, you would have migration scripts to do that. You wouldn't manually go into your database and start point and clicking, adding columns to your, to your table. You would just go write the SQL for it. Right. And that gets version and, and your migration tool, whatever you use. When you deploy a new version, those migration scripts run in order, and it's all in on and it's and it's depending on which kind of system you use. You know, if something goes wrong, you just immediately restore it to your backup, or you roll back or whatever. You know, there's that's right. just how we that's how we do systems nowadays. Well, in some environments I worked at, there was actual kind of compliance issues with doing anything in production. You had to you had to kind of test it in another environment and deploy it. What that means is. Someone's going to have to configure this twice if we're going to do this. Sure. Well, and Because you're impacting business logic with it. You're, you're developing business logic with this tool. So I should refine what I said a minute ago. It's not that you can't use point and click to create that new account field. It's that if I am going to do point and click, what I would do is I would go into my sandbox, which I'm already tracking the metadata of in, in my version control system. And I, would, I could create the field through the normal way, point and click in Salesforce, and then, and then pull that metadata down, capture that, and track that, you know. Committed and track conversion control. Right. So, you know. So some of the other things we talked about in this meeting or, or they showed us was um, they showed us some mobile apps built with Lightning and built with the components. And they showed us, you know, how they kind of kitted together the components, um, the, the, the markup that went into it, the Aura tags and all those kind of things. Um, and they were, there was, the group had a hard time understanding the layers that went into making the component. And that is you have your client side layer, which is your JavaScript. You have your page layer, which is all your markup. And you have your controller layer, which is all your server side logic. And then there's, is there in Lightning, is there a client side controller now as well? Yes. Okay. So that's probably really confusing for people. Yeah. So, yeah. So you have your, you have your controller, which is your server side controller. That's your apex class. And then you have your client side, which is your JavaScript, your JavaScript basically. 
Um, and there's all these kind of pre-built um, method names and things that you can that you have to kind of consume um, to handle certain events that happen on the client side. You know, being served up by those components. Um, so that was a little bit difficult. I think that's where it got kind of difficult um, with with some of the people in the group because they they barely had a grasp on the control. You know, the page controller concept. Um, especially since it seemed a lot of them just kind of did the standard controller and kitted together a bunch of pages and weren't really extending the pages themselves. Yeah. Um, because that's kind of the way it was presented and the types of questions that were being asked were kind of along those lines. So I, I think for the, for those, for those who've been active and, and kind of have gotten into advanced techniques with those, they shouldn't have a problem picking up components and understanding that whole methodology. Um, those who are just getting into it probably need to spend more time with Visual Force and understand the the client server side of things, and then start moving into components. Um, we did talk about connectors, um, and it, I was able to confirm there there was a lot of questions going back and forth, and even I had questions as we were going through it. Some of them I was able to kind of get answered, and some of them are still kind of out there. Um, it is read only, and it is supposed to be read only. For the near future, although there is talks that they might make it bidirectional, and that is that a connector that is connected to another system using OData may be able to write data back. But for right now, it is confirmed read only. Okay. But doesn't Heroku connect? Do you, isn't it? Isn't that uh, via OData or is it not? Uh, it should be, but there might be a separate connector for that yeah. that's outside of this. Um, interesting enough that, that we did talk money. And um, the that the person I mentioned, uh, I don't have his name, but the person I mentioned that was a architect um, for professional services confirmed, and I wanted to double confirm it, but I'm not sure, so don't quote me on this. But I think they said it was going to be somewhere around four thousand per month per connector. So it's not it's not based on your users; it's based on the connector. So you know, if you're if you connect your system to another system. That's four thousand a month, and then you connect to another system. That's four thousand a month. I got to get into this business somehow. That that type of model, I think, is going to cause a problem because I think what companies are going to end up doing is they're going to say, "Okay, we'll connect it to our our master data system that already aggregates all this other stuff. That's fine. And serve it up. Yeah. And so you've got you're basically now what is that four times twelve? So that's forty eight thousand. Yeah. Forty eight thousand a year. It's probably still cheaper than Wave. Yeah. <laughs> um, we saw some of the mapping techniques and things like that, but that, that, was, all, that was all kind of a lot of point and click stuff. Um, the, the type of fields that get created, you know, you have all your new external fields that get created and your external lookup fields and things like that that get created. Um, I won't go into details of those, but we, we saw some of that. Um, so that was pretty much it for that. I mean, the, we didn't get to cover everything we wanted to. In fact, a lot of it kind of got left out because of the amount of questions that were going back and forth and distractions, um, trying to kind of level set everyone on what we we're talking about. Yeah. What are angle brackets? They're uh, sideways mustaches. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I have some other news, but it's uh, probably it's either not important or we can talk about next week. I'm not done yet, man. Done yet? I am standing up, man. I'm gonna have to transition to a sitting. 
posture. I have one last thing, and this is a gripe because I am not, I have not been able to confirm if this is true or not, or if the tools I'm using just have not been updated to be able to use this yet. But my biggest thing with the lightning stuff, you have to use the developer console to do it. As far as I can tell, I cannot consume those resources in, in, uh, Maven's Mate or Eclipse. Or, yeah, so the metadata API doesn't support it, or the right. tooling API. That's such a deal breaker for me. That dev console, there's a couple of things I use it for if I need to do a quick execute anonymous in production right. or something. But, which, you know, I could even use other, you can use any tool for that really. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just not good. It is bad. Yeah, I, I can't stand using it. I've, ha- I've had it crash my, I mean, my the, browser before just because it starts for some reason leaking memory. crashes mine all the time, yeah. yeah. And it's built on Sentia, I think. But it's still, I mean, just the, the fonts look super weird on my system. Nothing's keyboard enabled. Um, yeah, it's major performance issues. I can't, it's obviously it's not connected to anything on my hard drive, so it's not going to get version controlled. Yeah. But it seemed like that's that's where they want to go. That's where they want to point you to start developing these types. That's of a bad idea. Why do they keep? Why do they? Because they have all these really built these these built in kind of sidebars that have all the kind of outlines of the different parts of your code, so that it'll have the component block, and you can click on that and get to your component page. Or you'll have the visual force. You have your client side JavaScript stuff. So they they did some work to to modify the developer console for this, and. I wonder if they're just going to say, if you want to do this, you have to do it here. And they're going to force us to use that. So there's, you know, there's somewhat of a, I would say a minor trend to like cloud-based or software as a service, like text editors and IDEs and stuff. But it's, it's so far from being ready and proven that I don't know why. I mean, I think Salesforce is again, trying to be a leader or a visionary in this. You know, we were the first enterprise software company to have a completely web-based dev console. Well, at what cost? I mean, to the point that you can't use you can't use good practices, and it's just you're slow, and you don't have nothing's keyboard enabled, or in a very price sensitive company, they go, "Well, why should I pay for this IDE when you can just use this and it comes with?" Aren't it? they free? Aren't the IDEs free? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I wish they would invest in like a a better Eclipse plugin or their own IDE, or or jump on board with. Maven's made or something. I mean, well, I, I think they they don't want to be in that business. They they want to provide the APIs and they want the community. They to are in that business it. with the dev console. I just think it's I just think it's that's misguided. my disappointment. That's where I think there's some hypocrisy there because I, you know, they've said time and time again when we com- when we talked about these tools and we've gone or I've gone to Dreamforce and I've seen people ask these questions. You know, when are you going to do this or when are you going to do this for developers? And a lot of times the answer is we're not. That's not something that that we're going to focus on right now. And I think sometimes that's the right answer, but clearly they are. In, they are in this business, though. They yeah. are in the developer tool business. It's in the dev console, right? Well, I mean, and you know, they open source the Eclipse plugin and things like that. So I, I think that's further evidence that they want to move away from doing that. I just think that was a hot potato they wanted to get rid of. <laughs> well, they still have their people working on it and really maintaining it for the releases. It, I mean, I guess after every release, they up, they update the endpoint to point to a new version. But other than that, I'm not sure. Well, like, I'm sure any new metadata not exactly that come out. That, not exactly a a point of innovation there with that Eclipse plugin. No, no. Priorities, man. We'll see. Developer tools are not, at least, my vision of developer tools is not a priority for them. Is it a priority for anybody? Uh, depends on whether you want developers to love you or not. 
and whether developers are important to developers, your ecosystem. Developers, and, uh, developers, developers. That's my, uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, I can't believe it. Bomber. Bomber. That's my bomber yeah. impression. <laughs> <laughs> That's my impression of no one. I need to be all red and sweaty and go, developer, developer. Is that a good? <laughs> has, has Benioff ever had you know a, a, a moment like that where he just went nuts? I don't think he has. I mean, he, he's got his, I'm so excited. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I've never seen him kind of jump up on stage and just, just kind of go ape on us. I don't know. What about this? <laughs> That's about the closest I've heard. <laughs> even, even on that clip that I, that I said you could see Benioff headbanging to Metallica, it was a very low key kind of subdued, just yeah. head bob. You know, it wasn't, he wasn't, you know, yeah, getting into it. He's, he's got to be cool and, and, you know, calm and collected, right? Yeah. You think he'd be jumping up and down trying to get those Fitbit stats up? Because I know he's competing with with other CEOs. He's he's out there competing. I saw on Twitter that I ah uh, was it Larry Ellison or somebody he was competing with. He's he he did he did some kind of like three miles steps or something on his Fitbit or something. <laughs> and he, he said something about uh, something saved me. I guess some some activity he had to do saved him that day. I guess so. I'm assuming he's competing right now. Yeah, with his. Uh, Celebrity, his circle of celebrities, his celebrity friends. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so now I'm done. Now you can go on to your news. Uh, no, I'm done, man. Your old news is new. No, news. I, I'm not doing. It. I'm I'm done. Done. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things I'll probably hold. Up. Oops, I'll hold over for next week. But yeah, I think that's it. We're done. I think so hey, it's been it's way over an hour, man. And to that, I say, good day, sir. Good day, sir!